Spectral ships, abandoned freighters, things that go bump in the night on the ocean waters. We're going to be taking things off the coast to hauntings and unexplained tales on the water. I got off of that. All right. <laughs> From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded, we become fearful to be deceived. Still, we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller, conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten, and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Well, we've all been familiar with things that go bump in the night and different stories, but I thought we'd kind of take this podcast and, and do some more unexplained, not just ghost stories, but uh, things at sea and on the ocean. One of the, uh, I think, more interesting stories I came across was a semi-recent mummy that was found on a ship at sea. Now, this story was featured on several newspapers and stuff worldwide. Uh, you could actually watch an episode on uh, Mysteries of the Deep TV series. It was during season one, where a man that was totally mummified was found on his boat, sitting in the captain's chair. Looks like he had leaned over his table, uh, actually on some of his maps, uh, right there next to a radio in the middle of the ocean. It was on January 30th, 2016. The Clipper Yacht Race was going on, with many sailing vessels competing in this big event. One particular ship, the Elamax Dischange, noticed a ship that appeared to be in distress. It had an obvious broken mask, sails there, off the coast of Guam in that vicinity. Now, contrary to what people might believe, it's not so easy just to pull a small ship up to another small ship and the ocean. So literally, they got as close as they could. They couldn't uh, raise anybody when they were yelling and hollering if they needed help. So actually, one of the uh, race boat uh, people dove into the water, swam across, had to board the ship that way, and he came across kind of a grimly sight. Unfortunately, the captain of the ship had deceased. Um, at this point in time, he was looked, for lack of a better term, pretty fresh, probably in the last few days uh, of his passing. That's a uncomfortable phrase. That is you, kind of an uncomfortable. He looked fresh. He looked fresh. I mean, that's usually like, you know, you wake up in the morning, you get started, you look fresh. So he, he didn't look decayed, maybe. <laughs> he, he uh, how do we want to word that? Um, was recently deceased. Recently deceased. So the swimmer boarded the boat and found the newly deceased captain's body in the captain's chamber, leaning over some maps. Uh, at this point in time, it just apparently looked like he had laid down and maybe had a heart attack. Obviously, there wasn't anything they could do. They looked around, found no one else on the ship, no signs of forced entry or blood or any of those sorts of things. They immediately reported this to the Coast Guard. Uh, Coast Guard responded and, and basically give them special permission because they were in a race to go ahead and continue the race they had the longitude, latitude, they had the readings, and they, the Coast Guard, would then take it over from there. 
apparently that did not occur. Um, because if that wasn't bad enough, it was February 25th of 2016. 26 days later, nearly 600 miles away, the ship is spotted again. This time, closer to the coast. For whatever reason, the Coast Guard couldn't find the ship, didn't respond, whatever. The vessel was boarded this time. However, finding a totally mummified man was now in the boat. Same captain, same gentleman, in the captain's chamber, sitting at his chair, radio within a few feet of him. And the ship did not appear, uh, or the ship did appear to have taken on some water at this point. The lower bows of the ship were already flooded. Um, an investigation was done, again, finding no signs of a struggle, no one else on board. Obvious questions. How did the ship travel 600 miles over a period of 26 days and no one encountered it? Well, the thing is, 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 and, and I'll get into this in some of the stories I found, these, these ships, they drift. And that seems to be a common thing. Like, how did the ship get that far in that amount of time? And I don't want to say they're, they're crewed by the spirits of their, you know, their Ghostly one-time captains. crew. But apparently, they, they can drift. You know, even, even big ships, big steamers, big ships can just kind of drift about and, and cover a lot of distance. Well, 600 miles in a period of, like I said, 26 days. Second obvious question. How in the world did a man become perfectly mummified in a period we know of 26 days when he was spotted previously? Well, I would have to assume that's just exposure to the elements and then the salt water maybe helps to preserve the body. Again, it's a good question. How does it happen? Well, scientists and doctors were called in. And yes, while you're at sea, you've got certain things. Obviously, you've got salt mist. Uh, you've got the heat. Different things would definitely contribute to that. However, no one could explain how it took place in that short a period of time. It should have taken months and maybe even as much as a year to a year and a half. If a body was dropped, they said, literally in the desert, it could take up to a year to a year and a half to mummify because the organs and stuff, the blood had not been removed. Uh, you go back to Egyptians, you know, being mummified even experts, if you will, back in the Egyptian time frame, all the organs were carefully removed. Obviously, the blood was drained. Uh, that whole process could take as much as two months to, to prepare a body for the mummification. Now, all these things. It's like, well, what if? How could this happen? One of the things that was noticed was the cargo hatch on the top uh, had been left open. Now, obviously, that would allow some airflow to come through from... The pictures and what I understand, a big portion of this ship was steel. So obviously you have a steel box out on the ocean floating, some very hot temperatures. So again, that could contribute to that. The vessel was brought back to shore. The deceased sailor was identified, and uh, I don't believe the name was given. Um, I don't really care to share it if it was, but it was said that he was an experienced sailor, solo sailing for eight, a period of eight years, and with experience, from what I understood even before that, they believe the cause of death was most likely due to a heart attack. Uh, perhaps the man had become disoriented, distraught, uh, feeling chest pains. He was trying to maybe find his location on the map, maybe got confused, uh, and was going to call for help on the radio, but just didn't have time. The main question is still about the mummification. Being at sea is not as easy to determine the death. 
Uh, unlike being on land, there are no flies or maggots or insects that often uh, investigation crews use to determine uh, the time of death and, and different circumstances with the death. The top side hatch, like I mentioned, it had been left open, so there you had the airflow. There's also the great heat out on the vessel, the temperatures that could help preserve the body with the airflow. But the salt mist, even all of that taken into consideration, something elevated that to a point, made it so much quick, even, again, like I said, a body dropped in the desert, they said, could take up to a year to decay out. It was, it's still kind of unexplained. Uh, they don't really know how that could have been, what could have caused that, and simply we may never know. It's never been reported before, but that is uh, one of the strange stories I came across with a mummy at sea. Well, I jumped right in with probably the most legendary of ghost ships, uh, the, the legendary Flying Dutchman. Oh, yeah. So uh, there, there's a lot of... A lot of sightings of the Flying Dutchman supposedly seen even up till today. And and seeing the Flying Dutchman is a portent of doom. It means bad luck's about to befall your your, your ship. Now, reportedly, this ship was uh, the original story of the Flying Dutchman. The Flying Dutchman was trying to cross, trying to, to skirt around the Cape of Good Hope, the southernmost tip of, of Africa, which, uh, you know, in nautically speaking, in legendarily treacherous waters, typically beset by horrific storms. I think this is kind of the birthplace of hurricanes. Yes, yes. So apparently the, the original story goes that the Flying Dutchman became distressed during severe weather, was trying to make it to harbor. Uh, could not find no one could could not find safe haven. There was no pilot that could conduct her onto safe haven. Um, and as they were riding the waves, being storm tossed, and 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 mind you, this is in the days of the you know the three masted wooden sailing ships. Uh, the captain, of course, as he's he's hands on the wheel, he looks to the heavens and he says he's going to succeed in finding harbor, even if he has to sail until Judgment Day itself. Hmm. Uh, and he, he receives an answer, but not from the heavens. <laughs> the, the devil hears this, this oath and he takes him up on the offer and he curses the flying Dutchman to sail the seas until the, you know, the last day of, until judgment day. Uh, she was eventually lost at sea during the bad weather. And now supposedly sightings of the Dutchman, again, they're supposed to be portents of doom, that the Dutchman actually leads hurricanes into the ocean. Mm, and that's interesting what, twist. You know, kind of. I don't know if she's hauling them behind her or she just kind of comes sailing ahead. But sightings of the Flying Dutchman usually indicate you've got severe weather coming up. Uh, she's never never able to make port. She's doomed to sail the oceans forever and ever. Sightings of her say that she does sail without a breath of wind in her sails. So the sails are untouched by wind and she still kind of you know glides along. Uh, first reported sightings go back to the 18th century. And then those, those sightings say if you hail her, uh, the crew will speak to you, uh, and they will give you messages to send back to people that have long since passed away. Uh, but but trying to contact those that they knew when they were alive. Um, there were sightings of the 19th and 20th centuries. There's one I have here from uh, July 11th, 1981, even. Pretty recent. Um, not too far off the coast of Australia. They saw her at about 200 yards, said there was a strange red light. They kind of looked like an old sailing ship, the outline of the Flying Dutchman. But as the you could see the mast, you could see the spars, the sails hanging down and tattered. But as she got closer, the closer she got, the less tangible she became until the point when they, they actually would have collided with the Flying Dutchman. She was no longer there. But those that do see her say, say she's cloaked in a ghostly light. She kind of glows as, as you see her. And again, you know, if you, if you see the Flying Dutchman... 
you know, the weather's going to turn, Bad something bad's going to happen to your crew. But yeah, supposedly, uh, like like I said, she 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 kind of ushers in the hurricanes now across the Cape of Good Hope. And of course, Flying Dutchman, when I say legendary ghost ship, you know, we're talking Pirates of the Caribbean. Absolutely. I, it seems like it's a running joke it's, in the SpongeBob cartoon. Well, as soon as so. you say that name, I mean, that's the vision that pops into my mind for sure. Yeah, when, when I say ghost ship, and, I, and we talked, we were going to do ghost ships, and then the idea was, well, do we talk about haunted ships? Do we talk about abandoned ships? And so I jumped right in, and I'm like, I went with the ghostliest ghost ship I could find. <laughs> now, as as I proceeded, I think some some of mine ended up more along the lines of your first one there, of abandoned ships and things like that. There's some freaky, strange things that go but on, I, on land or at sea. I definitely wanted to talk about the Flying Dutchman and touch on her story just a little bit. Nice. I got you. Well, I've got another one I'll share with you. It's uh, a ghost pirate ship during the time of the Civil War. Now, it was a late night in October. 1864, right during the heat of the Civil War, a Confederate blockade runner was able to slip through the waters guarded by the Union gunboats. This was at the entrance of Galveston Bay there in Texas. Its purpose was to deliver much-needed resources. Its cargo included wood, food, and supplies for, of course, the Confederate Army. The master of the ship, Lewis Billings, he was the uh, Confederate blockade runner's captain, was gliding quietly into port that evening. He was lowering the anchor after successfully skating around the Union and was suddenly startled by the shriek or the scream of a man. He said he quickly turned, thinking the Union troops had found them and that they were about to be boarded and taken under attack. Instead, he fell to his knees, paralyzed in fear. It was a strange old schooner ship, very similar to what you were describing, kind of the big three-mass ships, the galleys, if you will. And as it approached, he saw the crew members. They were all running to and fro, doing their normal work, pulling at lines and ropes and doing all the, you know, things that sailors do. But he could tell all the men had ghastly wounds that was all over their body and bleeding. Their clothing was ripped. He stated that um, it wasn't long, but he noticed it was like they didn't even see them at all. He saw them. He hollered for his own crew. They were able to see the ghost ship, but the people on the ghost ship didn't pay him any attention whatsoever, as to a point where they were sailing directly to coincide and hit one another. It was about this time when he was able to see the man that had shrieked out and called, and he was at the top of the, or towards the front of the ship, and he had like no facial expressions at all, said his eyes were black voids and said this man had dropped to his knees, kind of clenching his hands together, and started screaming out a prayer. This is on the ghost ship. Billings himself struggled to pull up the anchor as the ships got closer and closer to collide, and he screamed to his own crew, brace for impact. At this point, the entire crew of the Confederate blockade runner was able to see the faces all of dead men on the strange ship. Then moments before the two ships would collide, this glowing blue old-fashioned schooner ship just vanished without a trace. Some people believe this ship was Jean Lafayette's pirate ship, which was named Pride. Uh, It sank off that same area in Galveston Island area uh, about 1821 or 1822. She had had been seen previously, uh, 70 years after she was reported to be sank, Similar fashion, a blue kind of glowing aura around her, dead men sailing the ship. Is it the ghost ship pride? We may never know. However, 
it's still being seen today. Even off the oil riggers, people are seeing this glowing blue ship, this light. And again, it comes within feet sometimes of impact and then just vanishes. I hadn't heard that one. I like that. Well, I'm going to talk about the SS Valencia, an iron-hulled passenger steamer. She was wrecked off Cape Beale on the west coast of Vancouver Island, British Columbia, on January 22nd, 1906. A uh, hundred people died that day, and some classify her sinking as the worst maritime disaster in what they call the Graveyard of the Pacific, which is a treacherous area off the southwest coast of Vancouver Island known to claim many vessels. Uh, apparently a lot of ships have gone down. Now, some six months after her sinking, local natives claimed to have seen a lifeboat with eight skeletons in a nearby sea cave. Hmm. The cave mouth was obstructed by a large boulder, and the cave itself was 200 feet deep. Ooh. So the question is, of course, how does that that boat get there? Now, some believe, of course, she ro- came in during high tide and then low tide left her settled into this cave. Local fishermen, after the fact, would, would oftentimes report seeing lifeboats being rowed by the skeletons of the Valencia victims. That would be a little creepy. Yeah. Um, now, while transporting survivors from the sinking, the city of Topeka stopped to relay news to a passing vessel. Passengers on the other boat claimed to have seen the ghostly image of the Valencia in the exhaust of the city of Topeka's ship. Uh, you know, she had the big stacks and her exhaust plume right. was going up. Right. And they said it looked like it was, you know, the right shape to be the Valencia. The 1910 Seattle Times reported that sailors still claim to see a phantom ship in the area that looks just like the Valencia. Um, sailors will observe the ship being sort of the waves washing over her sides while uh, uh, skeletal and, or human figures cling to her rigging, you know, trying to, to keep from going down with the ship. Uh, in 1933, this was probably my favorite part of this particular little story, 1933, a lifeboat was found po- floating peacefully in Barkley Sound. No sign of any survivors on board. They said the paint was virtually untouched. And she looked like she was brand new the day she was installed on the boat. So that's, you know, almost 20 years later, or almost 30 years later. In 1933. Yeah. yeah. So 1906 to 33, close to 30 years mm-hmm. later, this, this boat just perfectly floating, no damage to her whatsoever, no sign of anyone. Beautiful pay job, still on it. Yeah, still intact. So I found that kind of interesting that this lifeboat just kind of showed up all those years later. Now, no one says anything about seeing any skeletons rowing her or anything. But, <laughs> uh, but the Valencia is one of those uh, that, that is commonly seen in those in that area. Huh. Just this this ghostly steamship. Interesting story. Well, I've got another one I wanted to share with you, and this is a little uh, off topic, but it is on topic. It's an interesting one. It's pretty common known that, you know, port towns and cities, anywhere where they were on the coast, that was the heartbeat of the trade routes, uh, hot spots, if you will, for all the shavel, uh, travel spots for maritime. San Francisco was no different. First signs of a very strange occurrence was actually in 1978 there in San Francisco. I believe they were working on digging the tunnels for the metro uh, area. And... Um, Three blocks away from the current coast of San Francisco, inland, they found a galley ship. And so so in, in, in the San dirt, Francisco? In San Francisco, three blocks from the existing coast, because obviously coastlines, <laughs> you know, can vary. Coastlines change, yeah. Yes. Uh, I think they said at a depth of about 30 foot down, they found a galley ship. 
And I thought, wow, this is, this is interesting. This is odd. Well, that would actually be the first of about 60 ships found just in a three-block area of the coast of just San Francisco. Wow. 60 ships to date. Um, at first, this almost sounds like a tall tale. However, similar, similar instances have been found in New York uh, and as far as Istanbul. It's actually quite common. Multiple ships being found deep beneath these cities all with one thing in common, something to do in or around the date of 1848. Now, what's the significance of 1848? At least in the California area, it was part of the Great Gold Rush. So many archaeologists and science, are uh, they believe that these ghost ships, we'll call them if you will, were possibly crashed into the shore intentionally at that time. Now, this had me raising my eyebrow. Why in the world would you crash a perfectly good ship? Well, there was a loophole in the California law at that time. <laughs> of course. The Great Gold Rush going on, literally hundreds of thousands of people traveling from all over the world, trying to stake it to get their riches. There was a loophole that if a shipwreck occurred and rested on the bottom of the ocean, that became property. Whoever owned the ship then owned that property. Instant property right on the coast. Now you might say, well, okay, but they're trying to find gold. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna say, I mean, I, I don't understand the reasoning there. I guess are are they hauling the spoils of somebody else, or this is just imagine a ship full of hundreds, if not thousands, of people, and they're trying to get them to California. For the great gold rush they haven't got the gold yet it's just the allure of the gold and these ships often were owned by big companies big corporations now they would have to have a place to be able to launch their ships and stuff assuming everything went well this is one belief that these corporations were said basically get the people there we have to get property. Well, you don't have to buy it if you crash a ship on it. Okay. So oh, okay. Okay. now okay. you can make your own dock, if you will, or whatever, and you staked property there. So when these gold rush people come back through with all their golds, there's an established corporation property, <laughs> free and clear. That's a little messed up. Uh, um, I, I don't know if I totally buy into that. Uh, again, the price of a ship, is it worth it? Maybe it was. I don't know. The others was simply that some of these ships were probably not in the best condition to begin with, with so many people wanting to get there so quickly that literally these ships may have been just limping along and, okay, it got us here, let's just park the thing and they sunk or, or whatever. <laughs> Still, it's very interesting to find that 60 ships to date have been unearthed just in a three-block radius of the coast of San Francisco. While this is a strange fact... More concerning is the instability that this adds to that three-block area of San Francisco. <laughs> uh, anybody ever hear of the San Andreas Fault? Uh, you know, uh, literally part of San Francisco apparently has been built upon these ghost ships, these crashed ships. And don't forget the first big San Francisco earthquake uh, killed over 3,000 people, set the city ablaze for weeks, if not months, and even contractors today report that some of the high-rises that's been built have actually been sinking as much as 10 inches <laughs> since they've been built, an inch a year, if you will. 
So now taking that kind of a back to a step of where we're at today with ghostly stuff, um, we know that that area, at least as much as three blocks of the current coast, is literally a ship graveyard, if you will. <laughs> the fact that the earthquake has already weakened some of that underground, and unfortunately, probably there's going to be the next big one. How ironic would it be that part of San Francisco could be attacked and taken out by none other than a fleet of ghost ships? <laughs> oh, that's yeah, just kind of <laughs> weird. Kind of out there. So I'm going to talk about the Orang Medan, which literally translates into Man of Medan. Well, if you keep up on your recent video games, there's actually a, a horror uh, video game that recently came out that's kind of based on the story of this. Now, this happened at some point in the 40s. There seems to be some uh, discrepancies. Uh, some stories put it as early as 1942. Some stories put it as late as 1947. But in the 40s. Some point around June 1947 is, is sort of the the established timeline. Yeah, the most commonly accepted timeline. Uh, two American ships were navigating the Straits of Malacca when they picked up a distress message. Uh, this message was received in Morse code, and uh, as they recorded it, this was the message they received. SOS from Orang Medan. We float. All officers, including the captain, dead in chart room and on the bridge. Probably whole crew dead. Gruesome. Now there's some confused dots and dashes for a little while, and then finally they receive two more words, I die. What? And then, and then that's the end of all Morse code from the Orang Medan. Now eventually the Silver Star would locate the Orang Medan, finding her dr adrift, and decides to board her. And now as they, they board the Orang Medan, they're horrified to see her deck just littered in corpses. On the top side, just on the deck. Right out there. Um, their bodies are found. They're sprawled on their backs. Faces frozen and upturned to the sky with mouths agape and eyes staring blankly. Now, everyone on the ship is found dead in the same condition, including the ship's dog. There's a dog amongst the dead, and the dog is the same way. Eyes open, mouth open, looking to the sky. Why what do the they world? see? Why did they, you know, why, why are they upturned? So they get on board. They they scour the entire ship. They find no survivors whatsoever. Everyone on the ship is dead. Uh, there are no injuries, no sign of injury to any of the bodies. They're all 100% perfectly intact. No one's hurt, no injuries, no nothing. Hmm. Now, uh, salvage laws on the sea, you find a, a shift adrift. You can tie her up. You can pull her into port, and as long as no one can lay claim to her, She's you're, yours. You, you're entitled to everything there, all of her cargo, the ship itself. So the Silver Star crew, they, they, they're on board. They're getting ready to tie her up. They're going to tow her to a nearby port. And when they're in the process of tying her off, a fire suddenly breaks out on board the Orang Medan. It quickly gets out of control. Now, this so, is with the corpses still on the on the Yeah, on and, the top and, and, and nobody on board. Nobody on board. Except for the crew of the Silver Star. And one poor dead dog. Yeah. So, of course, you know, fire breaks out at sea. They're like, okay, we got to evacuate. Everybody jumps off or jumps off. Everybody leaves. I'm sure they probably rode over and, you know, they go over back to the Silver Star. She's, you know, the Orang Medan is burning. They kind of start to sail away. She explodes with such violent force that she literally leaves the water. Leaves she, the water. I mean, just jumps completely clear of the ocean in this Elevated explosion. totally out of the water. Uh, and then... She hits the, the water again and, and sinks to her watery grave. Wow. Now, 
a lot of people, there, there's a lot of theories as to why the crew died. The most commonly accepted one, she was hauling some unsecured hazardous cargo or possibly uh, carbon monoxide poisoning. Uh, the cargo that she was hauling built up the, this, this fume in, in the, the hold, and then someone at some point opened it up and it kind of spilled forth, killed everyone Once on again, deck. If you had gas and fumes, possibly that led to the explosion. Now, apparently, at some point, there is a, a document that the CIA was interested in the unexplained nature of the Orang Madan and her sinking. Mm. There's a there's a unconfirmed letter that was sort of written from one one agent to another, trying to to ascertain the the truth of the Orang Madan and what happened to her. Interesting. There's so many tales actually out there. And while they're not all true ghost ship stories, I mean, we were talking, Bill and I were a bit ago, uh, the Titanic, just for example. You know, sometimes it's not the ship or the site that's haunted, but uh, the artifacts brought up from the Titanic. There's many stories that are told of the artifacts of the Titanic alone, not just the Titanic, but others uh, are actually haunted the violin is one of my favorite stories of the Titanic, which has been on a tour at the Titanic Museum in nearby Branson, Missouri, and where a lot of people have said, like, after hours, uh, places totally shut down, you know, cleaning crews in there or whatever, and all of a sudden they'll hear this eerie violin playing, which, you know, of course goes back to the, we'll, we'll play till the ship goes down. Well, and for anyone who hasn't been there, it, it's made to resemble in certain areas, actually being on the ship with the recreation of the the grand staircase. I haven't made it yet, but I definitely want to go see So I couldn't imagine walking through there at night after everybody's gone and then hear something like that. That would uh, be disconcerting. One of the TV series that did a paranormal uh, investigation there, I I had to kind of chuckle. They, uh, To your point, I guess they have kind of a setup area and there's some portal windows that makes you look like you're on the ship and looking out. And on the reverse side, which it's kind of hard to get to, yeah, there were children's, what they described as children's handprints or fingerprints that were on the, the porticles, the glass windows, to the point that the manager was even getting onto the cleaning crew and saying, you're not doing a very good job cleaning. And the, the lady they interviewed is like, we can go by and wipe that off multiple times during the night and it, it will reappear. You know, so there's there's a lot of ghostly apparitions and stories. This is a very wide spectrum shotgun effect of some oh, of the things yeah, that's yeah, out I mean, there. We, this is just a cherry picking of, of some of those stories. When you talk about the Flying Dutchman, the Orang Medan, uh, obviously, you know, you've got the story of the Mary Celeste. There, there's plenty Queen of Mary. other, yeah, plenty of other ships, either ghost ships that people sight out at sea, haunted ships, Bermuda Triangle, yeah, the Bermuda, Bermuda mean, Triangle, and, and all the stuff that happens there. Uh, just one little kind of quick anecdotal one that kind of made made some news here not too long ago. The MV, and I'm going to say this wrong, it, it's a Yugoslavian ship, Lyubov Orlova. It's a good attempt. Yeah. Um, she became a floating derelict in 2013. They were going to tow her to the Dominican Republic for scrap. Uh, there was a tug that had tied off to her, the Charlene Hunt, uh, had was towing her for about a day when the line broke. Uh, they tried to tie back off to her so they could continue t- uh, tugging her down to, to the Dominican Republic. Couldn't. The, the wind, there was horrific weather. They were talking like nine-foot swells, you know, 40, 50-mile-per-hour winds. 
There's no way they were going to get her back back tied off. So she just kind of started drifting. And this was not too far from Canada at this point. Later on, the Atlantic Hawk was contracted to go out and find her again and tie off to her and, and complete the job. So uh, they went out to tie off to her. Uh, the, the main reason she was contracted was because she posed the, the, the Lyubov was posing a risk to oil and gas, oh, you know, leaking out. Yeah. Yep. No, 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 no. Um, the, uh, the offshore oil rigs, they didn't want her to drift into one, into of, one them. of them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the Atlanta, uh, the Atlantic hot goes out on February 1st. She gets control of her, gets her tied off and her exact, they were told to tow her to international waters and then cut her free. Wow. So they towed her out to international waters where she would no longer pose a threat to offshore oil. Isn't that like littering to the nth degree? Yeah, so, yeah I mean, the degree of, of the environmental impact of something Just like that. Just turn it loose. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, take her out there. Um, on the 4th of uh, February of 2013, she was spotted 250 nautical miles east of St. John's. By the 23rd, she was spotted 1,300 mi- miles from the Irish coast. So we were talking about ships drifting, drifting. of their own. Yep. The the Lyabov was just kind of going wherever she wanted. Wow. Um, at some point in time, they believe she sank in 2013. Uh, they lost contact with her. But in January 2014, she had actually been sighted kind of drifting closer and closer to English shores. <laughs> and I think there were there were some news articles, I remember seeing them, where there was this rumor for some reason that when she made landfall, she was going to be loaded with carnivorous super rats. <laughs> Like they had, the rats on board the ship had, had you know, kind of killed each other off one by one until only the strongest survived. The strongest survived. And then no one would be able to board her because you'd be, the the way I imagined it was you'd just be overran by this wave of killer rats. Great um, horror movie right yeah, there. Yeah, like, like definitely scary stuff. But <laughs> again, I mean, not a, not a ghost ship per se, but a, but a drifting ship out there, but a drifting ship out there potentially dangerous to board anyway definitely well we hope that you enjoyed this and this is yet another tale that you will find on nightmares on the lost highway thanks for giving us a listen folks hey this is eric and i just wanted to give a little reach out and a plug to our first paying sponsor for nightmares on the lost highway that's our little family uh, toy and gaming shop here in lebanon missouri called raven's loft if you happen to be in the central Missouri area, please check us out. We have two locations. First one is at 223 West Commercial, downtown Lebanon. We've also branched out to a second location out at the Heartland Antique Mall, also here in Lebanon. You're going to find all kinds of vintage toys, Star Wars, Star Trek, G.I. Joe, Transformers, Mego, Universal Monsters, all types of gaming, board games, Magic the Gathering. So we would appreciate it if you'd uh, stop by. You can like our Facebook page. Uh, Swing by and check us out. Thank you so much. I would like to thank uh, Alex Tudor, who has been helping us uh, a lot uh, with our endeavors on this podcast. You can call him our producer at this point, I think. Our producer, electronic recording technician. uh, um, He's uh, the one that's setting up all the mics and the hardware in the background. And then Bill Weirs is going through taking his time to try to clean and edit this up and uh, give us the best possible version that we can present to you folks. want to thank everybody involved with that.